This morning, as we continue on this picture of being entrusted, turn to that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. While you're turning there, let me remind you of what we're looking at. We're looking at how that God has entrusted to us the care of his stuff. And uh, we have a couple of diagrams that help us understand this a little bit more. The first diagram shows us the right view of our relationship with God and our relationship with stuff. God is at the top of the triangle. That means he's in charge. He's the boss. Uh, When we live in harmony with him, then we understand that he is the owner of all things. Everything that we have in our hands, everything that that we have in our bank account, everything that that we own or possess or, or, or have ownership of, it really belongs to God. And he has just allowed us to take hold of those things Uh, to uh, bring glory to him, to reflect back on his honor, uh, to use for his gospel's sake, uh, to bring him pleasure. And uh, so as we look at the proper view of our stuff, we need to remember that everything belongs to the Lord, Psalm 24, 1. And because everything belongs to him, including us, we live in harmony with him when we see the stuff as his, and we are merely the stewards of it, okay? So that's the right view of our relationship with God and with stuff. But there is also a wrong view, and we all have embraced this wrong view at different times. It puts us at the top and God at the corner and and stuff under our ownership, where we view the things in our bank account or the things in our home or, or even our own personality in life, we see them as ours rather than God's. And because we see this ownership line as, as, uh, as, as our stuff, it leads us, or it, it's a reflection of being out of harmony with God and being in rebellion against Him. Anytime we take ownership for something that belongs to God, make no mistake, you're in rebellion against God. I'm in rebellion against God. It belongs to him, and if I pretend like it belongs to me, then I am out of fellowship with God. When we have this skewed view of stuff and, 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 and a skewed view of where God is in our relationship with him, where he is the one who's supposed to take care of our stuff, it leads to chaos in our life and in our relationships and in our finances. So we need to have the right view, and and really that's what we're looking at over these last several weeks, and this week and even next week, we're looking at how that God has entrusted to us the, 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 the care of his stuff. And today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I've already read verses 7 through 9, I encourage you to read those verses again. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 through 9, Paul clearly tells us that God entrusts to us the gospel so that we might uh, abound. That should be abound, and they'll correct that. Abound, not about. I put those slides together, so that about is my fault. Uh, so uh, So that we might abound in the grace of giving. God entrusts us with the gospel. Now, the gospel is something that we look at and we hear very clearly in verses 7 through 9, but especially verse 9. Look at verse 9 and see how that Paul describes this gospel. He says, or he writes, 
Uh, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Paul is writing to the believers at Corinth, and what he's trying to do is he's he's trying to encourage them uh, to give in a way that that is honoring to God. He's talking about money. He's not talking about uh, specific uh, uh, time or talent. He's talking about money. And he's telling the church at Corinth they need to give in a way that is honoring to God, that flows out of the gospel that God had entrusted to them. The, the key for, for giving uh, is not our financial position. Okay, I want you to hear this. So many times I hear people say, well, I can't afford to give right now. And I understand that. I really do. I've lived in the, in the vice grip of that kind of, of thinking. But what the Bible teaches us is that followers of Jesus give not based upon their uh, financial position, but we give based upon the gospel that God has uh, entrusted to us, the gospel that has changed our life, the gospel that has given us a brand new life. When we uh, allow the gospel that God has entrusted to us to come alive in our hearts, it's going to change the way we give. That's Paul's whole point. And so we need to view our giving not first from our financial portfolio, but rather we need to give based primarily on the fact that Jesus, who was rich, became poor for us, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. That God, in his great grace, sent Jesus to die for sinners. That Jesus was rich. He he lived in the royalty of heaven, that he, that he was uh, clothed in the royal robes of, of deity, that, that he who is God and was God let go the riches and took hold the rags of humanity so that we who are clothed in the rags of our sinfulness might find wealth and richness in the, in, in, in the grace and the royal robes of God's grace. Now, Jesus came to make us rich, not financially rich. Paul's not saying that. Uh, but he is saying Jesus, who was rich in every way, became poor so that we who are poor in our sin might become rich through relationship with him, so that we might live in harmony with God and see stuff merely as something that we are stewards over for him. So as Paul is writing, he's trying to lead the believers at Corinth to to give based upon uh, the gospel that God had entrusted to them. And he uses the church of Macedonia as a motivation. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the church at Corinth at this time. The church at Corinth was not giving the way that God had called them to give because many of them were mad at Paul. And because they were mad at Paul, they had kind of shrunk their giving 
uh, as a protest or maybe even a manipulation of Paul. But Paul didn't take that bait. He didn't, uh, he didn't try to uh, make them happier with himself, but rather he wanted to motivate them based upon the gospel. And in many ways, that's a great picture for you and for me today. Anytime we give based upon our happiness or our sadness with the church or with the pastor, we are living in a skewed view of resources, of stuff, and a skewed view of our relationship with God. God has not put in our hands resources, financial resources, so that we can use them to try to manipulate others to do what we want. And if at any point in time you or I use the resources that God has put in our hands to try to manipulate or coerce or protest something that we don't like, The problem is not with the church or with the pastor, but the problem is with your heart. God has called us to give based upon the gospel that has changed our life and to which God has entrusted us. So as we look at this passage, and I don't expect to get a lot of amens today, just so you know, it's okay. Uh, as we look at this passage, we need to understand that Paul, who was dealing with these opponents in Corinth, was still focused on them giving faithfully, generously, extravagantly, not based upon him, but based upon the gospel that had changed their lives. And so he points to Macedonia. Macedonia was uh, a place where believers were having a hard time. And as he highlights the giving of Macedonia, he's spurring on uh, the church at Corinth to get their focus right, to get their view correct, to see through the lens of the gospel rather than the lens of their own personal desires and ambitions And that kind of thing. So, as we look at what Paul writes, beginning in verse 1, we see that that he's uh, encouraging the believers in Corinth to be captured again by the grace of God, just as the churches in Macedonia. So, let's read, beginning in verse uh, 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in great trial of affliction, their, uh, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus 
that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So as we look at what Paul writes here, let's look at our own giving. Now again, we're talking about money here. We're not talking about time or talent. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about time and talent. But this week, we're talking about money. And Paul did not shrink from exhorting the church to give. In fact, he holds up the believers in Macedonia to show us how that we should give flowing out of the gospel of God's grace in our lives. How that we should give, being motivated, inspired, encouraged by the gospel of grace. He begins in verse 1 and says, now this is the grace that God has given the believers at Macedonia. Later in verse 7, he's going to tell the church at Corinth, you need to take hold of this grace that God has opened for you as well. But here in verse 1, he says, now God has entrusted this gospel of grace to the church in Macedonia, to the believers in Macedonia, and here is how they give. And in the same way as Paul writes this, it is a mandate for you and for me to give following the believers in Macedonia's example. So how do they give and how should we give? What are some of the principles to abound in the grace of giving? Well, the first one is that we give in difficult times. You look at verse 2, it's clear that the believers in Macedonia were not having a great season in their life. Again, look at verse 2. Paul writes, uh, in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Although we don't know the nature of their great trial of affliction, we know that when, you, uh, when Paul describes great trials of affliction, it's hard times. Some have assumed uh, that, that uh, believers in uh, Macedonia were struggling because they were more rural in uh, their location. And so they must have had bad crop years or something, and, and so they didn't have a lot of resources. Others have, have surmised that, that what happened to the believers in Corinth was that when they became believers, that they were ostracized from, uh, uh, from uh, commerce, that they were uh, stiff-armed from doing business, that, that, uh, that they were uh, essentially unemployed and unemployable because they were followers of Jesus. But regardless the nature of the great trial of their affliction, I want you to take note of how Paul describes their giving. He says, uh, or writes, uh, that in the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and the abundance of their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. The Macedonian churches were living in rock-bottom poverty. I want you to hear this. They didn't have two pennies to rub together. And yet, in the face of their affliction, and in the face of their difficult days, and in the face of their deep 
poverty, they abounded in extreme joy. They abounded in joy because they were focused not on their tough times, but upon the gospel that had made them rich. They were focused on how they had found new life in Jesus Christ. They were focused on their relationship with God and living in harmony with Him. They were focused, as it were, on the right things. And that focus on the gospel, on on how God had been gracious to them, led them to abound in all liberality. They were extravagantly generous. Now, extravagance and generosity to a person who makes $10,000 a year looks different than extravagance and generosity for someone who makes $100,000 a year. Can we all agree with that? Paul's not talking about the amount of money. He's talking about the sacrifice and the passion and the purposes and the focus of his people who had been entrusted with the gospel of his grace, who had been changed by the power of Jesus, living their lives on the edge of trust in him and giving in difficult times. Simple lesson for us. There is no time too difficult for us to give with extravagance and generosity. Let me say it again. There is no time too difficult for us to give with extravagance and generosity. Why? Because Jesus, though he was rich, became poor for you, for me, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus has changed your life. He didn't change your life so that you could make a buck. He didn't change your life so that you could have a nice, healthy, fat portfolio. He changed your life so that you could live in fellowship and friendship with God. And that is the greatest joy we could ever have. And so we give out of that joy. We give generously and extravagantly and liberally out of that joy. Instead of of counting our pennies, we give our pennies. Now, guys, I know that's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying this is what it takes for us to abound in the grace of giving. So we give in difficult times. Secondly, we see that we give, um, uh, we give beyond ability. We give beyond ability. Uh, I, I, I understand that in some ways this is subjective. Because each of us, as we look at our bank accounts and, and, uh, and, and bills and all those type of things, we're going to evaluate our ability to give. For many of us, uh, we've determined that we can't give at all. That's just not in our ability. But the gospel awakens us to a new view. That all the stuff that 
flows through our bank account belongs to the Lord. And if we are faithful to give according to the ability that he's given us, we're going to give at least something. And in some ways, this passage teaches us that we give until it hurts so that we might find greater joy. Now, I know we're all on a journey here, and I I know that we all have financial struggles at different times and different seasons, and many of us right now, I, I understand it. I've got three girls getting ready to enter into college. Please, I understand. But the bills that I have to pay do not excuse me from giving beyond my ability, all right? And you might say, well, if we give beyond our ability, then how are we going to pay our bills? That's where God comes in. See, instead of living each day focused on how we can make a buck, we need to live each day focused on how God is the owner of stuff and the owner of me. And so I'm just going to flow my life and flow my, the finances in my care according to who he is, not according to what I think I can afford. Right, let, let's look at what Paul writes. And again, he's talking about the believers in Macedonia, verse 3, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. And Paul says they didn't have a lot. And in human terms, they were not able to give, but they were willing to give according to their ability and beyond their ability. Let me ask you, do you give first out of a desire to make your balance sheet balance? You look at the resources that you have and you evaluate your ability to give based upon the resources compared to the bills. Some might say that's very wise and I would tend to agree. Except for the fact that you're a follower of Jesus Christ made alive by the gospel of grace. And that we should be living not a natural life but a supernatural life. When was the last time you stretched yourself so that God had to pick up the slack? Can I encourage you? And again, I know it's a test and I know it's hard. And Paul understood it too because he was, he was saying, I, I'm, I'm saying all this to test your love, the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. He's saying, I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm just saying how much Do you really love God? You might say, well, that seems a little coercive or unfair. Laying it on a little thick, aren't we today? No, I'm just trying to be faithful to the text. I know it's not easy. But guys, not being easy is no excuse for being disobedient. When we abound in the grace of giving, we give even beyond our ability. All right? 
Um, Number three, we give with a zeal for the opportunity. Uh, I want you to look at verse four. It says, uh, now this is the Macedonian church. They were imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. A couple of things here, first and foremost. Uh, Paul wasn't begging them to give. They were begging Paul to give. They were begging Paul for the opportunity to give. Uh, they, 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 weren't, they, they weren't listening to Paul on podcasts trying to get motivated to give. But rather, the gospel of God's grace had already awakened in them this abounding of grace in giving. And they were begging Paul for the opportunity. Please, they were saying, let us give. Maybe Paul, in his pastor's heart, was saying, look, I understand how how times have been tough. I understand how difficult the days are. And and why don't you just pass on the giving this time? Why don't you just, uh, don't give as much. I know it's hard. Keep one of the chickens for yourself. You know, just don't give as much. But, But they were saying, no, listen. We want to give beyond our ability. We want to give in such a way that, that allows us to partner with these folks who are struggling. The nature of this giving was to bless people who were in tough times. Isn't it amazing that a church that was facing every bit as tough a time as the church in Jerusalem was the church that was commended for all time in Scripture as being generous. Look, Jesus commended a widow who gave two little pennies in a temple. All these other people were given great resources, but this little little lady came and she gave all she had. She had zeal for an opportunity to bring glory to God and to bless others. And Jesus commended her. The words of God himself commended this little lady. For she was partnering in something that would lead to eternal benefit. And guys, the church of Macedonia had a zeal, a passion. They had a passion Uh, for partnering in the ministering for the saints. They had a passion. They had a passion to give so that God's work for his kingdom would grow. They had a passion for the opportunity to join with believers all around the Gentile churches in providing the resources needed to accomplish God's purposes. Can I ask you, do you have a zeal for that? An urgency? A passion? See, that's what the gospel of grace does to us. It's what it should do to us unless we're living in rebellion and disharmony with God. The gospel of God's grace should spur us onward to be generous with the opportunity to honor God and to bless others. That's why the believers in 
Macedonia could give with joy. They saw it as an opportunity to help others experience what they themselves knew already. That Jesus, though he was rich, became poor for them. So that they, through his poverty, could become rich. Do you have that perspective? Do you have that zeal? The reason I talk about vacation Bible school or student camp or children's camp, the reason I say in those three events last year we had 140 people come to faith in Jesus Christ is to try to dig into that zeal in you and in me. That we would give liberally, zealously, for the opportunity of sharing in those who are far from God, finding new life in Jesus Christ. Look, we're praying. Our staff got away. We prayed this the, the, on Thursday and Friday, or Friday, Thursday and Friday. We prayed for God to move with great power to change lives through vacation Bible school and children's camp and student camp. And we pray that it's not 140 people whose lives have been changed, but 200 or more. And you and I have the privilege to share in that opportunity by giving urgently and zealously for its cause. Are you giving with a zeal for the opportunity? Which finally leads us to the fourth point, which is now we abound in the grace of giving. Now, after Paul describes what happened in the, among the believers in Macedonia, he concludes this section by bringing it home to the believers in Corinth. He writes in verse 7, But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also, the grace of giving. Uh, Paul was hitting at them a little bit. See, the believers in Corinth thought that they were very mature spiritually. They saw themselves as spiritually mature believers. And Paul was saying, in essence, that the church at Macedonia demonstrated their maturity as followers of Jesus not only because they abounded in faith or in speech, not only because they abounded in diligence, in, uh, in, in, in love, or in knowledge, but because they also abounded in the grace of giving. Now, here's the lesson for the church at Corinth and the lesson for you and me today. You can have all faith. Faith here being the ability to uh, describe your trust in God and understanding who he is. You can have the gospel of grace unlock the gift of speech. Speech being here the ability to share the, the truths of the gospel with others. Uh, you can have the gospel of grace unlock the gift of, of, of knowledge, uh, which is understanding the truths of God's word as you study it. You can have the gospel of grace unlock the, the gift of diligence, which is an urgency in your heart to accomplish God's purposes. You can have the gospel of grace unlock 
the gift of, uh, of love, whereby you love uh, others you know, just as they loved Paul. You can have this wondrous gift mix unlocked by the gospel, but you have not fully grown as a follower of Jesus until you allow the gospel of grace to unlock the gift of giving. So today, in many ways, is just a call for all of us to grow up. To grow up as followers of Jesus, captured by the grace of God, immersed in this wondrous gospel by which we have been saved. We give, not based upon the financial resources at our disposal. We give based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ that God has entrusted to us and that has changed our life. You were poor. And you became rich. If indeed you have embraced Jesus as Savior and King. You were poor. You were poor and your poverty was debilitating. We've all been uh, placed in that, in that, in that uh, deep pit of poverty created by our own sin. The distance between us and God insurmountable. And yet Jesus, who was rich, descended the stairway of heaven to be born in a manger in a stable. So that in his richness, he might let that go, the royal robes of heaven. He might let that go and take on the, the, the rags of humanity so that we who are captured in the rags of our sinfulness might take hold of the royal robes of heaven. And that happens through Jesus Christ. And that is the motivator for our giving. The way we abound in the grace of giving is not by making more money or paying off more bills. The way we abound in the grace of giving is by setting our focus on Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, immersed in the good news that we have been made rich through Him so that we now can give. With a view to honor God and a view to bless others. So the call for us today is for us to be faithful to the gospel which God has entrusted to us. The call to us is to grow up as followers of Jesus and commit ourselves to give. Even though the days may be difficult for us to give. Even though we see our ability as non-existent or very small. To give with a zeal for the opportunity of sharing the gospel with others who need to know that Jesus who was rich became poor for them. So that through his poverty, they too might become rich. Guys, listen. 
we know that we have entered into this abounding in the grace of giving when we start begging God for more opportunities to give generously and extravagantly. So as you evaluate where you are on this journey with Jesus, and as we evaluate and the Spirit of God pinpoints the place of our maturity in Christ, will you allow God's Word to seep into your heart and lead you to abound in the grace of giving? Would you bow your heads with me, please? I know that much of what is shared today is perhaps not easy to swallow. And, and perhaps it's not easy for us to take hold of and to embrace. And yet, this is the very thing that God calls us to do. God has entrusted us with the gospel. Today, are you being faithful to the gospel which he has entrusted? If so, then you will excel in the grace of giving. You will abound more than you did yesterday. And tomorrow you will abound more than you did today. And please understand that in the midst of of your own struggle in the grace of giving, God is faithful. And just as he sent Jesus to rescue you from sin's embrace, he will strengthen you and provide for you as you give according to his abundance. So in these next few moments... I encourage you to respond in faith, to exercise the the gift of faith that God has imparted to you already through the Spirit. For you to exercise that faith and maybe, just maybe, you need to give again today in response to what God has spoken to you You need to give again today or maybe give with greater extravagance next week. Whatever that part of this journey is for you, I encourage you to do it. God has entrusted the gospel to you and maybe your response today is you you want to come and pick up one of these packets to go to 10 addresses and knock on a door and invite those who are there to come be with us on June the 19th. Invite them to bring children to Vacation Bible School. If they're not there, to leave the door hanger and, and go on to the next house. Maybe, maybe uh, one way that you can respond faithfully to what God has revealed today is, is for you who have been made rich through the poverty of Jesus will share the wealth of knowing Him with others. These packets are here for you to come and take and and fill out the bottom portion. Put your name and your address and uh, email address and 
and tear that bottom portion off and give it uh, to one of the staff members that will be up here. And, and you take this packet and you go to our neighbors in the one mile radius of this church, believing and praying that your journey will be rewarded by God himself. And that perhaps one of the homes you visit, God will also visit with his grace and transform them with the gospel. So, Father, in this moment, as we respond to you, either by coming and grabbing a packet, coming to this altar and praying about our faithfulness uh, in abounding in the grace of giving, whether it's just standing and worshiping you and in song and believing that, that I can do all things through God, through Christ who gives me strength. Whatever our response is today, God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the grace we need to say yes to you in these moments. And it's for your glory that we gather, and it's for your glory that we live. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.